Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Neil. I am Tamara. And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Have you heard of Ken Ham before? I have. I think at one point he debated Bill Nye. This was a number of years ago, but oh, you're right. He really yep. rose to yeah. a, a place of fame mm-hmm. in that moment. Um, but he is the founder of an organization called Answers in Genesis, which is an apologetics organization that really largely focuses on the age of the Earth. So he's a young Earth creationist. He believes that the Earth was created six thousand years ago, and so like that's kind of his thing. And in Kentucky, he has the Creation Museum, and then he has this thing called the Ark Encounter, which is like literally a replica of Noah's Ark, like as the Bible uh, describes it in Genesis, like down to a T of the the size and the scale of it. And it's actually kind of, I've never been there. I've never been to K- Kentucky in general. Um, but it, it actually, like low-key, it looks kind of cool. That's what I was going to say. I rem- remember when they were doing all the promotions for it and the opening day, and I thought, wow, that might be kind of fun to go check out. It, it looks a, it? Bit, a little bit it, like a, an amusement park, though. Like I think, yeah, they try to like make it fun like that. There's other aspects of mm-hmm. it. It's not just like a museum type thing, but it has entertainment value yeah, for children. It's kind of like an interactive kind of yeah. a deal. And he has another attraction coming, uh, which will be a replica of the Tower of Babel. That's interesting. Hmm. It's a, it was an interesting choice. I mean, why has he read the story of the Tower of Babel and that like they shouldn't have been building it and it was destroyed i mean so let's rebuild it yeah okay. so the the reason behind it it buckle your seatbelts for this one is a little bit uh stranger than even the fact that you'd want to build it uh the reason why he wants to build it is to um end racism end racism yes because he wants to show that evolution is not only wrong but it's racist because if you affirm evolution, you probably affirm critical race theory, which means that you're a racist, and he wants to disabuse you of that. Okay, what am I missing? How does the Tower of Babel do that? I don't know. When I read the announcement that they were going to build understand. it, I was having a hard time connecting the dots back to Tower of Babel. Um, but, you know, there it is. Okay, so I'm not... It's not clear as day, and somehow my brain's just not working. I think it's something like, so as a punishment for sin, God divided up the people into different uh, language groups. And critical race theory tries to divide people up by the color of their skin, is the argument that he's setting forward. Oh, gosh. But it's a bit of a stretch. It's a bit of a stretch. I know this is not exactly what our podcast is about. I think it's a bit of a stretch, and it's also a misreading of what was happening in the Tower of Babel. Yeah, but we, we can discuss okay. that, and that's I a whole understand. podcast in itself. I'm sorry. But I want to talk about Ken Ham today, because Ken Ham has beef. He uh, has ha, been ha, ha, beefing ha, ha. with people on Twitter like crazy, and he's bought the new like Twitter Blue uh, which is like this eight dollar a month subscription you can do to get your blue check mark, and if you do that, you get a four thousand character limit on your tweet. It's like a blog. Yeah, so he's been posting like full on blog posts to his Twitter feed, which is probably one of the more transgressive things you can do on social media in twenty twenty three. Say more. 
<laughs> yeah. And so he in in those tweets, he's been going after like well-known pastors and apologists um, who have a different view on the age of the earth than him. And so uh, he's been saying that they have compromised scripture, that they're lukewarm, that they're leading people astray uh, by teaching that it's possible to believe in God and believe that God created everything, uh, but also think that it, it's okay to affirm evolution. And so I've never been one who's been super invested in discerning the age of the earth. Um, but a lot of people, like Ken Ham, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast, they are. So I want to discuss uh, that today, um, like dive into what Ken Ham said to whom uh, and whether he had a point. And then just kind of discuss, like, what are the acceptable Christian views when it comes to the age of the earth? And also, like, how hard should we be fighting over that, if at all? So that's what I want to talk about today, but we will dive into that in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So as I said before the break, Ken Ham of debating Bill Nye, apologist fame, uh, he's been going after some people on Twitter, like some fairly high-profile Christians of late, and he's been calling them lukewarm and compromised uh, because they disagree with him on the age of the earth. And one of those was actually Tim Keller, um, and uh, Ken Ham kind of went after Keller right after the Keller Center for Apologetics um, launched. So that was an effort with the Gospel Coalition, uh it's the center that really wants to equip people with apologetic resources um, just from a cultural standpoint to kind of bridge the gap uh, between just how the world sees life and society and how the Christian worldview actually makes sense in, in the midst of that. And you would think that Ken Ham, that would be something that he's like for, right? Because he's also an apologist. Uh, but uh, Keller is not a good apologist because he does not uh, affirm uh, young Earth creationism, and so uh, he's compromised, according to Ham. And so Ham tweeted this. I'll only read part of it because, again, it was like a whole blog post that he wrote, uh, just decrying Tim Keller. Uh, so he said, "Quote: So Tim Keller says American Christianity is due for a revival, but I don't believe that true revival can happen until there's a new reformation to call church leaders like Tim Keller back to the authority of the Word of God." beginning in Genesis. And then he goes on to call him lukewarm, and then he says, quote, a Tim Keller apologetic center won't help the situation because he's adopted evolutionary ideas into Genesis. True revival can't take place 
Without a right foundational history, Christians need to wake up and understand the foundational importance of the book of Genesis. End quote. So, he didn't really mince words with how he feels about Tim Keller, who is a uh, world-renowned apologist himself. Uh, then a couple of weeks later, he went after Anley Stanley, who is a pastor of North Point Ministries, is one of the largest churches in America, probably like, I don't know, maybe like the fifth largest church in America. Um, for an old sermon, like he posted this video of an old sermon of Stanley, in which Stanley said it isn't like inherently a conflict between, uh, like to affirm evolution and also believe that God created the world and everything in it. And so uh, it was like a three-minute clip of, you know, Stanley kind of talking through that. So Ham, he tweeted a video of that clip uh, with this commentary. And again, I'm going to just read excerpts. Um, it says, quote, As you watch this video clip, think about how lukewarm much of the church is today. Think about the fact that there's been a generational loss from the church with Generation Z church attendance down less than 9%, down to less than 9%. Think about the increasing number of churches going soft on LGBTQ worldview, accommodating their views instead of lovingly explaining how our beliefs and behavior have to be judged against the absolute authority of the word of God, and that such a worldview is sin. And then later he says, this compromise has had catastrophic consequences on the church and the younger generations who have come become so secularized and anti-Christian with many leaving the church. Doubt in God's word led to unbelief. Generation Z are now considered the first post-Christian generation. And which felt a little bit out of left field to me that Stanley was talking about the age of the earth and Ham immediately started talking about gay people. Anyways, and then there was this other, this was like the most bizarre one as I was just like, how many times has he done this? And I started scrolling through his Twitter feed. Uh, this was a few weeks ago, I think. Uh, somewhat bizarrely, he posted a link to an article about William Shatner, who um, is this actor. Uh, he was Captain are you, Kirk. Are you describing who Will, Will Shatner is? Yeah. In case you don't know, he was Captain Kirk on okay. Star Trek. Um he was in Miss Congeniality. I can't really think of any other noteworthy thing that he's been in. Um, I know he's been in stuff. He's been he's he's been an actor for like decades. Um, but he's like in his nineties now. And this article is talking about how he's at the end of his life. And so uh, Ham he posts a link to that article, and he says that Shatner's legacy will not amount to much of anything because one, he's not a Christian, and two, he believes in evolution. I didn't realize. Um, Ham had such a mission on the age of the earth. Like I knew that was part of his thing, but I thought apologetics was like the broader umbrella that the age of the earth fell under. But like pulling out all of these excerpts and his Twitter feed, it really is his main topic that he wants to talk about until he's blue in the face and what's so frustrating about the need to only talk about the age of the earth and calling everyone lukewarm if they disagree with him or um, if anyone wants to talk about evolution at all is that the age of the earth is not the central topic of the gospel. Right. Yeah. I mean, th this has always been his main thing. Um, I mean, he I built a life-size ark. He has the Creation Museum. But I didn't think it was to this degree. Well, it's just that it's always been his main point of emphasis, but now uh, 
thanks to, the point to Elon of Musk, other people. Well, just saying thanks to Elon Musk and eight dollars a month, we're getting access to his full unfiltered thoughts on a daily. Yeah. So, you know that that is what it is. Um, so I think we can all agree, us in the room and those who are listening to us in your cars and on your earbuds, uh, that Ham's a little bit out of pocket with these Twitter tirades. I mean, like, you can disagree with Keller and Stanley on a lot of different things, and um, a lot of people do, but, like, it's just, like, the the tone of this is is really askew. Well, and for the reason he's calling them lukewarm is because of their opinion on the age of the earth, not other things. There might be other theologically heavy topics that you could point out from Keller's teaching and Stanley's teaching that you would likely disagree with and say, like, maybe this means they're lukewarm. But it's just the hang up of the connection that it's because they don't agree with young earth. All of a sudden, they're like heretics. Right. It's wild. Yeah, but setting aside the fact that Ham is kind of out of pocket on this one, um, how invested do you think Christians should be in answering the question of the age of the earth? So I think I've already tipped my hand a little bit at just how frustrated I am with him. But the age of the earth question, I think, was really popular in the 90s, right? Is that or maybe like the early two thousands? Um, I mean, yeah, it was. I don't know if that's where it started. It might have been before then. I just know that there was a lot of sermons happening around, like weekly, monthly sermon series, or going around in relation to the age of the earth, and like parents were upset that schools were teaching evolution. And I even remember my mom like asking me what I learned about. Yeah, and like the relationship between dinosaurs and humanity and apes and humans and all of that kind of stuff. What was the famous ape, Lucy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like Lucy was a whole thing because she was like the connecting one before we apes became human. I don't know. I was in like third grade, but my mom was really mad about Lucy. Uh, And so was the church. Everyone was mad about the ape Lucy. Um, so it was just like this really popular topic within Christianity. It felt like for quite some time. It's true. When growing and up, the two tirades were the uh, end times, the end times and, and evolution. evolution. Yeah. Like the beginning and the end. Like we didn't care about anything else in the middle. <laughs> I mean, but, so long as you vote a Republican in the middle, we're all good to go. <laughs> yeah. So I d- it just feels like there's, there's cycles of topics that people, particularly Christians, like really sink their heels into and everyone's up in arms over like what the world is teaching versus what the church is teaching and the age of the earth and evolution and where we came from, like all of that was part of it. And that's why I knew about Ken Ham. But again, I didn't think that was his only thing. And it kind of seems like that's his only thing. So when it comes to Christians caring about the age of the earth, I think it's fine to be curious. It's fine to have questions, especially as you're learning about things in school and you're learning about science and all of that kind of stuff. Like, sure, how do we reconcile this back to scripture? How do we look at this from a biblical view? Um, There are a lot of things that you're going to be taught in school that actually don't line up with what we believe as Christians, right? Uh, And when it comes to the actual history of the earth, maybe we should care a little bit about that. But when you look at the Genesis account, that's not what it was trying to do. It wasn't trying to give you the age of the earth. That was not the purpose behind why it was written. 
And so for us to become so like hellbent on figuring out what is the age of the earth based on God's view instead of humanity's view, um, I think we're spending like way too much time on that. Yeah, I don't think it's an unimportant question. Um, especially if you're a scientist, you know, that's... If you're a scientist, absolutely. But, oh, and that's another point. Sorry. All of this time while I'm hearing all these sermons, hearing all these pastors talking about the age of the earth, and they're trying to give me artifacts and bones and apes and this and that. I'm like, what do you know about science and archaeology? Right. Like, this is not... Very little. This is not your field. Yeah. This is not my field. Like, you are not the expert in this area. So I agree. I think as a scientist, these are absolutely critical questions. But I'm not often thinking about, like, the age of a rock or, you know, Grand Canyon and how many years did it take this to form? And does this match up with the biblical account? Like, how do I reconcile the Grand Canyon with the Bible? Right. Yeah. What did you think about Ham's argument that the reason why Gen Z, like statistically speaking, isn't a fan of the evangelical church is owing to the fact that we are too accepting of uh, evolution and gay people? I just didn't know that evolution was still an issue. And I didn't know it was an issue for Gen Z. Um, I guess the whole conversation about sexuality and transgender and homosexuality, like that's probably a really big conversation, more specifically for Gen Z, because we're seeing them like just questioning those things in ways that previous generations didn't before. But he's saying that they're not going to church because the church is too accepting. Yes. I think it would be the opposite. Yeah. Like Gen Z's not going to church because... The church is not accepting enough. So, I yeah, I don't quite understand where he got those numbers from or that conclusion that that's why Gen Z is not going. Um, I think there's a lot of other reasons why we're seeing Gen Z being maybe the most unchurched generation within America. Uh, I wouldn't say it's because of evolution and being too accepting of homosexuality but i haven't pulled numbers on that so maybe i'm wrong maybe ken ham is right and gen z has been pulled and these are the reasons i just from everything i'm reading evolution was never part of that um and in regards to the homosexuality topic it was the opposite of what ken ham is saying yeah and i just don't know how he's making those connections and then like wrapping them up into an attack of andy stanley it just didn't quite well, no, the, the, the logical whole string Andy Stanley wasn't part doesn't make sense at all. Like, again, Tower of Babel and racism, like, I don't, his connections are really, really off. It's kind of like free word association, it feels like. I mean, sometimes I do that, but usually it's because I'm really tired. <laughs> Maybe he's tired as he's typing <laughs> like out he's these 4,000 character tweets. And he's launching an entire new project to build the Tower of Bible as he's just... That one's a little bit less easy to justify. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've seen, like, they did, like, the elevations and they sh- they show, like, what it's going to look like. Like, low-key, it's going to look kind of cool. I was going to say, it's there's gonna gonna be like a, There's going to be, like, a ride, like a Disneyland ride, uh, where it, like, will take you through, like, the different, like, stages of, like, humanity or whatever. I just think the issue... There's, like, it's creative. I mean, it is, but the Tower of Babel was... God was mad at them for building it, so he tore it down. Why would we build it? 
Because if you build it, they will come to Kentucky. No. So God can tear it down? Is God going to tear down this Tower of Babel? Well, you know, in today's economy, being multilingual is a really marketable skill. And so maybe if you come to Kentucky, you can have your multiple languages learned when you're stricken by God because of the Tower of Babel. I I don't know what's happening right now, but no. Just trying to see how – evangelicals, we're nothing if not industrious and in learning how to monetize a situation. Oof, that felt icky. Well. Trying to make money off God. <laughs> well, I mean, people have been doing it. But uh, I want to kind of turn our attention to just to briefly discuss the differing views on creation. Um, what are the different views you can have and still be a Christian? Um, but we'll dive into that in just a moment. So if you talk to Ken Ham, the the view that the earth is only 6,000 years old is the only possible view you could have and still be a Christian who believes in Jesus and the Bible uh, and all that kind of stuff. Lots of people would disagree with that. There's actually a few different uh, views on the age of the earth and how creation came to be. Well, really, there's two major views within creationism. There's young earth creationism, which is ham. He says basically the earth is 6,000 years old. And then there's old earth creationism, which uh, believes that the earth is possibly billions of years old. And so old earth creationism has a couple of different subcategories, but those are the two main buckets. So Ken Ham, he's very much a young earth creationist. Um, And the way that they got to the 6,000 years is that there's lists of genealogies in Genesis um, and so basically you, you take all of those names, you add up the number of years that they lived and bing, bing, boom, you get to about 6,000 years old to get it all the way back to Adam. And so if there was a literal, uh, you know, seven day creation, then there's Adam, uh, on the sixth day. And then you do the math from the genealogies, you get to 6,000 years old. And then basically what you do from there is, um, because you believe that that, that is all literal, then you go and try and look for scientific evidence to support uh, that that uh, affirmation that the Earth is only uh, 6,000 years old. So there's kind of this whole cottage industry uh, that Ken Ham is a part of it that is um, funding and supporting and uh, researching and arguing for uh, evidence that the Earth is only 6,000 years old. Then there's old Earth creationism, which basically accommodates the prevailing scientific consensus that uh, the Earth is far older than 6,000 years old. So then there's a couple different versions of this. Uh, one is the day-age creationism, which uh, reinterprets the word day in the creation account to mean age, which we'd have to talk to an expert on Hebrew, um, but that exegetically... in in my understanding, has been a little bit flimsy. But what they say is that there were six ages that were spoken of in the Genesis account uh, that God created in, but each one could have been you know thousands of years or millions of years or whatever it might have been, whatever number they put on it. Uh, then there's gap theory, which says that there was a significant time lapse between Genesis one one, where God said you know said that God created the world, um, and it was uh, you know formless and void, and uh, between that moment in Genesis 3 where he said, let there be light. So God creates the heavens and the earth uh, in Genesis 1, millions of years. Genesis 1, 3, he says, 
let there be light. Right. So God just took a break. <laughs> he was he was like, great, I'm going to create the heavens and the earth. That's one serious smoke break, you know? And then I'm just going to pause for a really long time, and then I'll start adding things to that. Right. Yeah. And then and that makes sense why it's called gap theory. There right, was yeah, a gap. There, there was a gap. And it, the gap is only there. Correct. Then it's a literal six then days. It's, then they follow the normal literal right. time frame. Uh, then there's progressive creationism, which is similar to the day-age creationism, but it doesn't really try to like map on uh, different developmental ages with the, the days specifically in those six days uh, in the Genesis creation narrative. So it kind of more just takes uh, Genesis 1 as a theological point uh, rather than taking it as a literal accounting for how God created the heavens and the earth and trying to answer all these questions about, like, if he, there was light on the first day, how come we don't get the sun till like, the third or the fourth day? And just, like, all of these different questions. And um, when we look at, you know, geological research, like, oh, how do we map that in? It says, like, no, God, God was making a theological point here. He wasn't really concerned uh, with telling uh, the people of Israel in that moment all of these scientific particularities of what he did. Um, he was making, he was, he was writing in an elevated prose talking about all the different elements of the things that he created order out of chaos. And um, that doesn't really contradict what we learn scientifically um, because God wasn't making a scientific point. He was making a theological point. So those are kind of the views. And um, there's a lot of people that feel really strongly about that. Like maybe you're listening to this and you think that we're, you know, idiots because we, um, are kind of making fun of Ken Hammond a little, you know, in some ways. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about like why I remain like it's okay if you're not agnostic about this and you feel really strongly about it. I think there are like some good reasons for just like the general population to kind of be fairly agnostic about this. And so here are a couple of reasons why um, I'm I am not really interested in taking a hard stance on the age of the Earth. The first one is this. I am not a scientist. You're not. Right. I have a degree in psychology, which is a soft science. Science. Um, but I, I know very little about biology, chemistry, geology, astronomy, astrology. I don't even know which one's the weird signs and which one's about the stars. I don't know about either of them. I'm not a scientist. And going back to Ken Ham, I also saw that a couple of years ago, he went really hard after Francis Collins. And if you don't know who Francis Collins is, uh, he was formerly the director of the National Institutes of Health. He has a PhD, an MD, and he was part of the Human Genome Project. Uh, he's also an evangelical Christian, and he founded this uh, organization called BioLogos, which is an apologetic center where these experts talk through uh, these different questions relating to the intersection between faith and science. So, you know, the dude's got credentials, right? Uh, but according to Ken Ham and his bachelor's degree, um, Francis Collins has no idea what he's talking about when it comes to evolutionary theory or the origins of the earth. And in fact, he is compromised. He is lukewarm. I was just going to ask, did he, of his, did he call him it's a lukewarm? All this, yeah, those it's are his two favorite words. It's always a Christian. Yeah. And so... Like, that just feels like the epitome of arrogance to me. Yeah, valid. I mean, if people say, like, well, like, that's credentialism. Like, a little bit, yeah. But when someone's credentials are legit, as someone who has d domain expertise in one particular area, 
Uh, I understand what it's like to have people who don't have domain expertise talking like they do, and they just sound foolish because they don't know what they're talking about. And I know that there are areas that are not my domain expertise, and I don't know what I don't know. And so, yeah, there's a level of authority I'm going to give to people who do have advanced degrees and a, a pretty impressive resume, might I add. So, Well, and it's because it's not just about the fact that you went to school and you got a degree. It's that you spent years and hundreds of thousands of hours dedicated to that specific topic and learning from people who have spent even longer learning about that topic. So it's not so much about the paper as it is the time you put in to learn about that thing uh, that should give you some level of expertise or authority on the topic. What also he's been a part on the forefront of advancing scientific knowledge. He's part of the Human Genome Project. I mean, yeah, that added in as well. It's not yeah. just his education. It's that he like can do stuff with that education and has and has been advancing what humans know about the human genome and you know as part of his his resume. So to just cast that aside and so just flippantly is it seems silly to me. And so that's reason number one. I'm agnostic about this. I'm just not a scientist. And I I know some scientists and I appreciate that they know about that kind of stuff and I don't. Um, the second reason is that, and you mentioned uh, this as well, that the point of the uh, creation account in Genesis is not the age of the earth. And so Genesis 1, it wasn't written against the backdrop of Darwinism because that that's te- you know tends to be the backdrop of... Uh, against which we interpret it um, for the past, I don't know, 150 years, when did Darwin come around? Late 19th century. And so um, that wasn't what the audience, the original audience, uh, had in mind when they're listening to this creation account because it wasn't written against the backdrop of Darwinism, but it was written against the backdrop of uh, other creation narratives uh, from the Sumerians, from the Canaanites, from the Babylonians, if you read other uh, creation accounts, ancient creation accounts, and we have some of them from kind of a contemporary period. And they actually a, sound very similar. They're very similar. So uh, the the context of the creation narrative in Genesis was actually uh, playing off the pre-existing uh, creation accounts and myths that were in existence. And it kind of framed the story the exact same way, but then subverted it. So when you look at other creation accounts, um, the you know the gods of those you know stories, uh, they're basically like supersized humans and like not even like really good humans. Like everybody's having sex with everybody and they're fighting and they're killing, and in the midst of that, like humanity is created in a way that's somewhat kind of tangential or even accidental. Um, but not really with any meaning or purpose, and really at most they exist just to serve the needs of these gods who are capricious and immature and sexually promiscuous and the whole bit. And so against that backdrop, uh, God says, no, I didn't create you out of chaos, but I created you out of intention, in out of order, out of love, out of purpose, and so it was refuting the fact that in the ancient world that uh, humanity was, like, not that important, apart from, like, the kings who were the closest to being gods. And so 
uh, Genesis radically subverts that. It says, you know, every human from the bottom up is is dignified because I created this beautiful world and created order out of chaos. And at the center of that, uh, a human who wasn't a king, who was just a guy, and everybody who descends from him and, and uh, is created in the image of God, is given value, is given dignity, is given worth. And therefore, that is going to set the trajectory for everything I'm going to tell you about how to treat other people. When we see that in the latter books of the Pentateuch, uh, when the law is given, where it was radically progressive in terms of the kinds of rights it gave to people, particularly vulnerable people at the very bottom of society. And so that's the point of the Genesis account. And so um, I think we're asking uh, the Bible to give us an answer that it's not willing to give us uh, when we're like reading back into um, the narratives, expecting that they're going to give us a scientific answer. Well, I think we do the same thing with Revelation, right? And a few of the other accounts like Daniel and Ezekiel, uh, when we're talking about what's going to happen in the end, um, it's not the biblical accounts are not meant to say here day by day, era by era, season by season is exactly how the world's going to end. And then the same for Genesis here day by day, season by season is exactly how the world came to be. Uh, that is not the purpose of the details that we're given. That's not the focus of the information we have. Sure, can we draw some conclusions based on those things, but not to the degree of you are not Christian if you don't believe it this way, which, again, the two really big topics that were happening for us growing up were the beginning and the end. And people and just vote Republican in the meantime. And people just getting yeah, people <laughs> that's, just getting. That's really my vision for Christianity as a kid is like evolution isn't true. Uh, the end times is exactly as Tim LaHaye portrayed it. Right. And vote Republican. That's it. Yeah, and for those to be like the cornerstone issues, it, like hindsight is kind of odd, especially as you read through scripture and realize. The information and the details were given were never meant to point us to those things, but they were always meant to point us back to these central truths of the fact that God created the earth, not out of chaos and disorder and his own capricious ways, but out of love and order and purpose and dignity for humanity itself. And then you fast forward to the end times and it's the same thing. We're so focused on who's going to get in, who's going to get out, when is God coming, what, like all of those details. And are we in the end times? Yes or no? Can we prevent it? Um, and instead, it's supposed to be drawing us back to Christ himself and the anticipation of his coming rather than the fear of his coming and the like really hot debates that are happening among Christianity. Yeah. I actually just read uh, relating to the eschatology thing. Uh, I read uh, Scott McKnight's new book called Revelation for the Rest of Us. And he, oh, did you finish that one already? Yeah, oh. it's, it's really good. I recommend it. We'll link to it in the show notes. But um, he basically talks about how, uh, generally speaking, uh, we've talked about this before, dispensationalism, which came into vogue in evangelicalism, uh, kind of the latter half of the 19th century, and really certainly in uh, the second half of the 20th century with, you know, the late great planet Earth and Left Behind and, you know, the whole bit, um, that uh, that view was didn't really exist until the 18th and 19th century. 
Um, and then even now when you look at global Christianity outside of, you know, evangelicalism is the minority view and part and parcel of that dispensationalist view is this kind of futuristic decoder ring signs of the times reading of revelation that really uh, causes us to kind of sit back and try to analyze and like, who's the antichrist? Is it Vladimir Putin? Is it uh, Donald Trump? Is it Kim Jong-un? Like, you know, like trying to like, see like who who is going to fulfill all of these things and he argues in that book that that's not what the book is all about that it's a book about uh people living in what is referred to as babylon the for the original audience they're living under the roman empire but babylon kind of is this uh universal signifier especially among the jewish people at, at the time who were uh had become christians that is this foreign empire that is causing you to live in exile and how do you live as a nation of god's people in the midst of uh being in exile in babylon and so there are always babylons in every generation and uh that are trying to stamp out or even persecute um the, the people of God. And so how do you serve as a faithful witness in the midst of that, particularly for the people he was writing to amidst really fierce opposition and persecution and even the threatening of your life? It it was this, this, this story in a, in a very uh, unique um, genre of apocalypse that is showing us that um, God is going to make everything right. And by by uh, the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, your faith, your faithful witness to live as Christ lived, and if necessary to die as Christ died, then that that uh, that God is going to see that and vindicate that, and there's going to be a new creation in the end, rather than this whole like geopolitical like you have to be like so smart to figure this kind of stuff out. So yeah, with Genesis and with Revelation, uh, we tend to miss the. Um, the point, because we're either trying to like line up the science or we're trying to line up the politics, uh, when uh, that wasn't really the concern of the biblical authors who were trying to deliver that to us. Exactly, and I didn't mean to make us run off on a completely different tangent. No, but it's an talking, interesting tangent because I, I was just thinking about it. It's like it's it's all part it's of the same just problem. In, exactly, like we focus in on the wrong things, unfortunately, and I think I think it's. Uh, Okay, I have no actual like support for this thought, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was hesitant. Like, do I say it? Do I not say it? I think people like it's kind of fun for people to look at scripture and try and like decode what's going to happen at the end of the world or like here's exactly what happened in the beginning and here's how we can relate it back to what we're actually seeing in our lives um, in terms of the scientific things or science is ridiculous and it doesn't matter at all. So... Like, I think people just, like, some, maybe they have too much time on their hands, too, and they just get really excited about these types of things that are, they're answering these questions through, like, the the reading of the in-between-the-lines of Scripture. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it is, this is going to be a controversial thing to say, I don't think that it's, you know, a, a coincidence that these types of discussions and arguments and really, like, kind of impassioned emphasis on these things uh is most often found in affluent white christians hmm. where it's like you know all our well, stuff is taking said, like we're living yeah. we're living pretty good so like we yeah. might we need some extra drama you know i feel like what you said is far more controversial than what i said so now i am gonna keep what i said because it sounds a lot like 
more lighthearted than what you just I feel said. like I said what you said just more directly. No, no, no. I'm just saying people have fun like with puzzles and decoding and you but you, you know, took but, it somewhere else. But do you know who has fun talking know, about the apocalypse? Yes. People who are not suffering right now. Because it's like this, oh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, interesting. You have time to think about. But when about, you're suffering, like, it's yeah. not interesting to talk about, like, how people are going to oppress more. Yeah. So, that was a tangent. Another one. Yeah. But one more reason why I'm agnostic about the age of the earth is because I think too often it is a, like, a faux mark of maturity for Christians. And um, it shouldn't be. And it certainly shouldn't be a, a barrier for non-Christians. You know, when it comes to talking about faith with friends who aren't Christians, it is like amazing the the questions that are presented to you. They're never the questions that I think are going to come up, or almost never. Um, but I guess they're more just indicative of our reputation as Christians. So, for example, like a friend once asked me like if he needed to become a Republican in order to follow Jesus. And like that was like one of his major concerns because he didn't want to become a Republican, uh, and that was going to be a barrier to him giving his life to Jesus. And then at various times and in various ways, to paraphrase uh, the author of Hebrews, people have asked me like, "Do you need to like kind of give up your scientific commitments if you want to uh, follow Jesus?" And of course, the answer to both of those is no. Of course not. There are plenty of Christians who are Democrats or third party, and there are plenty of Christians who believe in uh, evolution. And it, it that's not even like a first tier issue. That I I don't even think it's a second tier issue. I think it's like a it's like a if you're curious kind of thing, tertiary issue. Yeah. And so, like, people aren't like more spiritual because they believe in a in a um a, a literal six day creation yeah. or six. They, you know, they've done all of these studies on why carbon dating can't be trusted and you know like doesn't make you more spiritual because you have arrived at that conclusion uh but that's often the um the attitude that if you were really following jesus then you would subscribe to this and i think that's where where the issue comes in because at the same time like exploring different scientific evidences of the age of the earth like if you're scientifically minded and like that's fascinating to you like hey that's cool. Like, it's not my thing, but if it's your thing, then, you know, go for it. That that could be um, something that, if it helps you to, to experience joy and wonder in who Jesus is, then that's a good thing. Well, and I think everyone gets, like, a thing that they're curious about, right? Like, right. a topic that they just, it, in some ways, like, me sitting here looking at rocks all day, like, there's absolutely nothing exciting about that. But you've, you've been to a museum, right, where there's, like, these display of rocks and yeah, they've I'm been like, yep, sitting those in are lava. Definitely rocks. And I'm just looking at them like, where's the next room? Because I don't <laughs> even. I don't. Ooh, this one has holes in it. Ooh, this one's bumpy. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that one's a different color. I no, I don't even look at them. I just like just take me walking. to the next part of this museum because this is absolutely boring to me. But to some people, that's really exciting. And so, I that's part of the the great thing about the way God's made us is. We all get to be curious and uh, passionate about different things, but it doesn't automatically make it a like spiritual uh, salvation issue. Right. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, it's good. If you're curious and you're passionate, I wouldn't want to discourage anyone from like pursuing like wherever you land on that, because I think it's a tertiary issue. I don't think it's like of 
supreme importance that we land on one side or the other. Right. Because if you're younger or older, that's not going to change whether you're getting to heaven or not. Right. That's not going to change whether you're living in eternity with Jesus. As it relates to the creation, what you do need to affirm is that God literally created created it. That he created it with purpose. Yes. He created it with meaning. He created it in an orderly fashion. And he, he it's not accidental. It's not random. That, that he had a very specific plan and purpose for God and human dignity uh, that is then reaffirmed, even though we fell um, from from the goodness of creation, that he sent Jesus to redeem that goodness if we place our faith in him. So that's the theological commitment you need to maintain. What right. day it was on, like, you know, argue. It's fine. Well, and I think that's the issue with evolution is the teaching that, you know, we came from apes. Like, yeah, certainly. Let's let's make sure there's clarity on that, that God created Adam and Eve and like hen fashioned them, right? So, yes, we, we did not come from apes and we can understand that to be true based on uh, the account in Genesis that we read. So there is clarity there, but there are, yeah, other areas that are, feel a little bit more gray exactly what day did this thing happen and that thing happen and how old is the earth after all? Right. I mean, and even like what I know, like little I know about the science that that humanity evolved from a lower species of apes or whatever. Um, there's significant gaps in proving that. Um, but I don't think there's significant gaps in saying like, hey, there's really strong evidence that like the way that we know that stars work, that they've been here way longer than 6,000 years, or the way we know that uh, sediment builds up and creates a canyon or whatever. Like to the it, rocks. it seems that it's way older than 6,000 years old. Right. And, you know, they'll come back and say, well, God created it with the appearance of age, you know, and there's, you, you, you can go back and forth all day on these things. Um, and that's fine. Uh, I think uh, – there's two, just two things that we need to be careful of. And the first is that we can't let our difference in beliefs divide us. And that's really where I have beef with Ken Ham is that um, you can't go around calling people lukewarm and compromise just because they don't want to come to your replica arc. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's <laughs> not cool. About his arc. <laughs> <laughs> but for real, yeah, like that's no. it's what it like I mean, boils down he's, to. He's using strong language about, uh, people's faith just because they don't agree with him on a a topic that is not a primary issue within the faith itself. Right. So we can't let it divide us so foolishly. The other thing is that we can't let it become a barrier of entry to evangelism. Because listen, like telling people that you worship a Jewish Messiah who died and you believe was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago that's a big enough story to get through on its own. Like, I don't also want to have to do a deep dive into geology. And the good news is you don't have to. It's not, ne- I mean, if they have a question, you can give them your best effort on that, but really stick to the main talking points, which is Jesus and he rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, then we can be raised a new life in him. Um, yeah, like it's, it's how old the earth is, is not an essential part of the salvation story. The essential parts is that we were created with dignity, that we we fell because of sin, that Jesus was sent, he died for our sin, he rose again so that we could be redeemed in him, and eventually everything is going to be redeemed under the name of Jesus. We ain't need to talk about rocks or <laughs> dinosaurs. You know, someone there's someone who once asked me like what I thought about 
it's some like really just like very specific question about dinosaurs and some latest archaeological find that they had. I said, I don't know. I don't really have an opinion on that. And he's like, they don't talk about this in seminary. I'm like, no, we don't talk about paleontology in seminary. <laughs> you mean you're not curious whether or not humans walked next to dinosaurs? I mean, it's an interesting question. I, I just mean, don't have the expertise is, to answer yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I'm also curious, like, is Big, Bigfoot real? Like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure he's not real. <laughs> maybe he is. You don't know. All right. I mean, maybe. A- anything is possible. <laughs> I'm not a Bigfoot expert. I mean, we expert. know dinosaurs were real, right? So, I think there's some people that are like, were they, though? <gasps> were they, though? All of the skeletons we have? Yeah, I don't know. It, I don't. There's some people who believe some fringe stuff. Ken Ham isn't oh. one of those people. He has a different explanation for that. I think. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but there are some people really on the fringe. All that to be said, this can be really interesting to discuss, argue even, argue passionately, uh, be like that meme of it's always sunny in Philadelphia where he's got like all the newspapers and like the red, uh, like yarn oh, going yeah. from one one. He's like trying to like if that's your bag. You know, have fun with that, but just don't let it divide you from other Christians, one, and two, be a barrier to evangelism. That someone has to believe all of those things that you feel uh, con- convicted that are true uh, in order to follow Jesus, because they it, they just don't. Um, and so we do ourselves a disservice when we um, are, take too hard a line on this, and we do disservice to other Christians and non-Christians who might otherwise be interested in Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kainosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.